Hey, welcome to Night School and Dear Diary. Now, I think the diary episodes of the last couple days are over for right now. Not that I don't have more to say in that regard, but I think it's better if I don't just spend every episode talking about vague personal problems that everybody's going through. And rather than document every step of a, a spiritual reckoning or nervous breakdown, I think it's a lot better to we'll talk about it later. Let's talk about it later. <laughs> Because, I mean, you run the you do a podcast, you run the risk of uh, talking about your personal issues. You always run the risk of talking about people you know. It can easily become gossip. It can easily become just a complaining session. You just you run those risks, especially when you get too comfortable doing these. When you get too comfortable and when you uh, don't really care. <laughs> when you don't really care what you end up talking about. Uh, you always run the risk of saying things you probably shouldn't say or maybe should show more restraint toward. I don't have any regrets about talking about the things I've been talking about lately, but I think uh, I have other things to say, and, and so let's go there. And first I was going to say, you know, something interesting happened if I didn't mention it on this show where my friend Nick G, who listens to this, not to be confused with Nick W, but Nick G, who listens to this show, uh, he heard the episode, the alchemy episode, the quote-unquote alchemy episode, where I mentioned the mafia guys who stole this gold powder, this white powder that was made from gold, like some chemical process turned this gold into a white powder that was used for some process. And I mentioned that I had no idea what this was even used for. And I mentioned how the mafia guy testified how you apply cyanide to this white powder and it becomes gold again. And it sounds insane, you know, especially to a person like me who, you know, chemistry and all that is extremely foreign to me. But just in a little, I don't, I don't know if I'd call it a synchronicity or anything, although maybe. I mean, it seems like it kind of defies the odds. Nick G, who listens to this show, let me know that he knew all about it. He said that he worked in electroplating many years ago, and they used this gold powder this white powder that is made from gold, and he said that it is white because it is iodized. So it's white because it has some sort of salt. It's turned into salt. Something like that. You know, again, I don't know anything about chemistry, but basically it has the appearance, it has a white appearance because it is iodized. I think I'm saying that right. Ionized, iodized. You say ionized, I say iodized. But Nick broke it all down for me, and he told me like all about the electroplating process, how this stuff is used, how they use different metals. There's gold, there's bronze, there's silver. And he said he didn't know about the gold, but he said that when the silver is applied to these baths, because in electroplating, things are dipped into these baths. And I, I checked out a video of it. He showed me a video. And even then, I barely know what I'm looking at. You know, sometimes I just, it's amazing just going through life and realizing like that you really barely know what's going on. Uh, but anyway, just they dip things. I mean, you can electroplate things, which I, I didn't know what that even was. But I think basically you, you apply a metallic finish, essentially, or a, a metallic coating to something using this process. Maybe, maybe Nick, let me know if I got that wrong. Uh, but anyway, so it turns out, though, that he said he wasn't sure about the gold, but the silver is converted into silver again from the powder using cyanide. 
So I wasn't wrong about cyanide. I know, like, when I said it on that episode, it sounded so absurd to say that, yeah, they turn gold into a white powder and turn it back into gold using cyanide. But it makes sense that cyanide has a use beyond killing people. Like, we always hear about it. You know, it's kind of like how the gases used in Nazi Germany where they had some practical purpose and they used it for something nefarious. I mean, that's what I was talking about not that long ago when it's like science taking credit for the benevolent byproducts of science, but distancing themselves from the malevolent byproducts where it's like, oh, you know, we didn't mean for the theory of relativity to be used on a a nuclear bomb, you know, but it's like, but you always run the risk of doing that. Just like I run the risk of saying the wrong thing or saying something I maybe should have had a little more restraint on, you know, with this show, uh, I'm a scientist. In doing a podcast, I am a scientist, and I need to learn to use restraint and, uh, you know, take the good with the bad and be accountable. I need to be accountable. As a scientist here on this podcast, I need to be accountable for what I say, just like a scientist needs to be accountable for the good things that come, the many good things that come from the scientific process, but also the bad things, like cyanide. You know, cyanide can be used in electroplating. Cyanide can be used to convert precious metals back into a solid form from their powder form. But they can also be used to kill people. You know, and nature, you know, nature supplies plenty of that too. Berries can, you know, when you're starving on a journey, berries can save your life or you can eat the wrong berries and they can kill you. Berries are a form of cyanide. Cyanide, oh, cyanide berries? Stupid. Uh, But anyway, uh, just funny to me, just funny to me that, you know, somebody who listens to this show knew exactly what I was talking about and actually not just knew what I was talking about. Like he didn't just know about this powder, this gold powder that you use cyanide to convert into something. I, I didn't even know what the purpose was. And he told me the exact purpose and he knew all about it. So, you know, thanks, Nick. I, I appreciate that. Anybody, you know, anybody who has knowledge about something I'm just like riffing on, something that just sounds, you know, harebrained, let me know. Like, I love to hear from people about, you know, I love to get schooled. You know, the reason this show is called Night School is because I like to get schooled myself. That's totally the reason why this show, (laughs) that's totally the reason why I named this show that. But anyway, I'm going to get into another topic. I was talking to my other friend, Nick. This is another Nick, my childhood you know, friend Nick, uh, my oldest and one of my dearest friends, Nick, we were talking last night. And 90% of our conversations, no, I mean, I would say 100% of our conversations make some kind of reference to Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. You know, the early 90s movie with Kevin Costner, if you're not familiar. And because we both were obsessed with that as kids. And being friends since then, I mean, being friends for 30 years now, and and having become friends probably right around the time that movie came out, we loved the movie for what it was. Like, we loved it as a gripping story of Robin Hood, but we also always found the humor in it. Both the intentional humor, because, like, the movie has jokes and stuff. There's some tongue-in-cheek elements, but there's also plenty. If you've seen that movie, you already know. There's plenty about that movie to mock. And so we've done that our entire lives. And it's the type of thing where we can watch that movie. And I can't say this about very many movies. Like maybe the the original Star Wars trilogy, 
But aside from that, not very many movies. But Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves is the one that I can watch and I can say every line before it happens just about. And as a result like of this obsession, this lifelong obsession that Nick and I have, have had with it, We've, uh, you know, 100% of our conversations involve some kind of twisted inside joke that's turned into like a mutant code language that's incorporated something else we like experienced growing up that incorporates somebody else we met as adults, you know, and it's like, that's just the amazing thing. If you're if you're a close enough friend with somebody for long enough, you develop this completely mutant secret code language. I mean, if you if someone were to see our messages to each other or even hear our conversations on the phone, you would think that you were reading some sort of like Soviet Cold War era, you know, cipher. You would think that this was some sort of spy language. And I'm not saying it's not. Because I, I think maybe there is something to that, you know. Uh, but but really, like Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves is a thread that just runs through it. It's like I, I wouldn't even be able to give an example or break it down. It's so mutant. And it's incorporated so many other things. And it's like this universal solution. Like you could mix it with cyanide and turn it into something, <laughs> something else. Uh, and so, you know, 100% of our conversations involve that. But he sent me a package a few days ago with a book, Trask, which is a, a Northwest adventure novel, and it's turning out really good. It's the perfect thing for me to read right now. Can't get enough of adventure novels, really can't, since I got into fiction a couple years ago, since I actually started reading fiction as an adult. Can't get enough of adventure novels. Um, but he sent me the, the book Trask, as well as three Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves action figures in the card, in the what's called the blister pack. Growing up, like playing with action figures, my friends and I always called the packaging they come in the card because it's like a big card. And usually it's almost presented not entirely different from a trading card with the, the figure and the plastic attached. Like they would have kind of like a, a profile of the character and they would have a big image of him. It was kind of like a card and it was card material. Like we just called it the card, baby. It's a card. And it wasn't until I was an adult, maybe, that I heard the phrase blister pack. Oh, you talk, You said card, you ignorant little idiot. It's called the blister pack. You know, it's a kind of a disgusting phrase. It actually makes sense, though, because the plastic that houses the action figure is kind of a blister. It's very much a blister, but I guess I never thought of a blister as anything else, uh, as anything beside, like, things you get on your body that hurt. Turns out there's other, it turns out if you, if you pop a blister on your body, an action figure comes out, just like a blister pack. But anyway, he sent me like three original Robin Hood Prince of Thieves action figures with the card, with the blister pack, with the attached to the blister pack. And so it was just a great joke, a great, a great find and a great joke to send to me. Who knows where he got them? But so we were talking about that last night and something we discovered as kids was that sometimes action figures are made from other action figures. Even, and I'm not talking about custom action figures. We're talking about other, like, professionally made, mass-produced, manufactured action figures are made from action figures from other toy lines. Always at the same company. You know, almost always the same company that made both toy lines. But you'll find that... 
you know, sometimes they they reuse Star Wars figures, and that's what we learned with Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, when we were kids. Is that we used to play with those Robin Hood figures, and never thought anything of it. They seemed like they were the figures. Like some of them looked like the actors, some didn't. Because that's the interesting thing, is the Kevin Costner figure is, to this day, the best rendition of an actor that I've ever seen. They basically shrunk Kevin Costner's head down to, like, an inch long, an inch high. And, I mean, it might as well—you could tell me that they shrunk Kevin Costner's real head down, and I would almost believe you. I would almost wish that you were telling the truth. Because it looks—it's such a good sculpt— Oh, it's such a good sculpt. Whoever that sculptor was, I hope that guy got a a big bonus in 1991 when these figures were produced. But the weird thing is, is they they must have like blown their entire load on Kevin Costner's head, which is a visual I never thought I'd invoke. Um, But uh, they must have done that because the other figures don't look anything like the guys in the movie. Like Alan Rickman's head, like his character, he played the sheriff of Nottingham, Nottingham. And it doesn't look anything like him. The sheriff toy has short hair. Doesn't look anything like Alan Rickman. Rickman. Alan Rickman. Doesn't look anything like him. The Morgan Freeman toy, he plays Azim, kind of looks like him. Like it doesn't, you wouldn't look at it and think this looks like Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman. You wouldn't necessarily think that, but they added these big freckles because, you know, what makes Morgan Freeman so distinct for, you know, I don't need to tell you why Morgan Freeman is, Freeman is distinct. You know, we all know why that is. But uh, one thing that makes him distinct is he has very significant freckles, which you don't really think of with a, a black man. You know, as a, you don't, I, I, you know, when I think of a black man, I don't think of prominent freckles. With a white man, yes. You know, we all know plenty of white men, and, like, he he has tons of freckles. But you don't really think of that when it comes to a black man. But Morgan Freeman, that's one of the things that makes him distinct, is he has these prominent freckles. And the toy has those. So that, that kind of tricks you into thinking it looks more like Morgan Freeman than it does. Because they made a toy of a black man with prominent freckles. And you know already that it's supposed to be Morgan Freeman. So your your mind reconciles things. Your mind does the equation on its own. Your mind says, this toy looks like Morgan Freeman. When in reality, if you actually examine the features, they didn't. it's nowhere near the Kevin Costner resemblance. I, I wouldn't even put them in the same ballpark. But it's not the worst. It's not the worst rendition. It's just that it's, it's not... You kind of have to do a little... Your mind kind of has to reconcile something. Whereas the Kevin Costner toy requires no reconciliation. You know that's Kevin Costner. If you don't know that's Kevin Costner, you have Brad Pitt disease where you can't recognize facial features. If you, if you never heard that episode, I was talking about how Brad Pitt claims that he has this like disease where he can't remember people's faces, which I'm like, that's like the ultimate excuse. Like if you're a famous person and people bother you all the time and they're like, oh, Brad, Brad, remember me? I'm Kevin Costner. Stupid voice. Like, you just go, I don't remember you. I have a disease where I can't remember people's faces. Very convenient disease for one of the most famous people in the world. But, uh, yeah, if you don't know that toy is Kevin Costner, you have Brad Pitt facial recognition disease where you can't recognize people. Um, But uh, the Morgan Freeman, you know, not quite Kevin Costner, that's for sure. The Christian Slater toy, because Nick sent me Christian Slater... 
who's Will Scarlett, uh, Kevin Costner, who's Robin Hood, and Azim, Morgan Freeman. And uh, Will Scarlett, like, doesn't really look like Christian Slater. They didn't quite get the pointiness of his face. Like, it doesn't look horrible. Like, you can, you, you don't, it's not egregious, but it doesn't resemble, you wouldn't know who it was. You know, it's not Kevin Costner level at all. But, you know, the reason I bring all this up is we got, Nick and I got to talking last night about how these figures used other toy lines. And we discovered that as kids, because one of us got the original Star Wars Gamorrean guard, you know, like the pig, the green pig, oh, you mean the green pig guard? Try explaining to your dad what a Gamorrean guard is from Star Wars. Be like, you mean the green pig guard? You know, no, excuse me, dad. It's called the Gamorrean guard. No, but the Gamorrean guard, like big fat pig, you know, from Jabba's palace, from Jabba's palace. And uh, it turns out the Friar Tuck toy's body was taken from that toy because Kenner is the company that made it, which Kenner, I love the name of that toy company, Kenner. It's like a, a nickname for Kenneth. Hey, Kenner. Oh, this is my son, Kenner. Um. But they made both the Star Wars toys, and the original Star Wars toys, and the Robin Hood Prince of Thieves toys a decade later. And I guess they were like, Friar Tuck's fat. Let's make him really short and use the body of a, a pig guard, a Gamorrean guard from Star Wars. And uh, Friar Tuck came in a robe. But if you took the robe off, you would see that his body was virtually identical, like a, a slight re-sculpt. They added a couple, that's the thing, is they, they used other toys, but they slightly changed them. They slightly re-sculpted the mold, but you could still tell where they came from. And so one of us got a Gamorrean guard, and we were like, this is Friar Tuck's body. And it's a funny decision, too, because like in the movie, in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, Friar Tuck isn't short. He's fat, but he's not short. He's a big guy. As far as I can remember, he's a pretty large guy all around. He's He seems like he's probably taller than a lot of the characters. And speaking of which, they made the Azim Morgan Freeman toy really tall. And I don't remember ever hearing about Morgan Freeman being tall. I don't ever remember watching a movie with Morgan Freeman. I mean, it's entirely possible. Like, I mean, it's, it's very possible that Morgan Freeman is tall. But I've never thought of that being a quality he has. Like, you think of Tom Cruise being short. You think of Daniel Day-Lewis, I guess, being reasonably tall. I don't know why I thought of him. But you think of some people, some actors, you just kind of get a sense for their height. I've never, I guess Morgan Freeman is so distinctive in other ways that I've never thought about what his height is. But they made the, the, Azim, tall, the Azim toy very tall. I don't know if that's them being like, he's a black man, let's make him tall. I don't know if it's that or if Morgan Freeman is actually tall. But back to Friar Tuck, they made Friar Tuck very short because they used a Gamorrean guard's body. And it doesn't look like the actor, like not a Kevin Costner level, you know, uh, not a Kevin Costner level rendition of the good Friar. But yeah, they, they just, we, and that was a realization for us. We're like, companies reuse toy bodies for other toys. We didn't know that. You know, toys seem like they just come out of a come out of the ether. Action figures seem like they just come out of the void the way they are. Like they're they're all these unique little items, whether they're simple, whether they're complex. Action figures to us just seemed like they came out of nowhere. 
We knew they were manufactured. We knew they were mass produced. But in terms of like the individual figures themselves, we thought of them as in a vacuum of their own, individual little figures, especially when you think about different series. You know, every once in a while, I think you'd play with a a toy and be like, well, this kind of looks like the other toy. Like there were G.I. Joes, for example, where you'd get one of the little three and three quarter inch G.I. Joe figures. And you might be like this kind of this accessory is the same. This is the same gun that came with another guy or something, you know, something like that. But you never really thought that like they would reuse a Gamorrean guard from Star Wars to make Friar Tuck. But we had that realization and then we came to realize that more of the Star Wars figures were re or uh, yeah, more of the Star Wars figures were reused for Robin Hood. And including the because uh, in, in Robin Hood Prince of Thieves, the the Merry Men, the Merry Men lived in a tree fort, sort of a, a tree village. Sort of a tree village. Oh, the Merry Men lived in a tree village. And uh, in, of course, in Return of the Jedi, the Ewoks, the Ewoks lived in their own tree village. So guess what Kenner did? Can you guess what Kenner did? They made a tree fort for the Robin Hood figures, and they used the same tree fort. They used the same tree village, which makes sense. That's, it made sense to do that. I got to give them, I don't think that's just pure laziness. It's like, those are actually almost identical tree villages, even in the movies. Even in the movies, those tree villages are very similar. So why not just reuse the toy? So we realized that, though, that like we were like, whoa, these, this borrows from Star Wars. This borrows actual toy molds from Star Wars. And I think we, we found, we, that, that blows your mind. Like when you're a kid and you realize that a company reuses parts from other toy lines, you start to notice it in other places. You know, and I don't remember like going around left and right finding it, but you do start to notice that it changes your worldview. That can blow your little old mind, you know, to, to realize that like these things that I thought of as unique little jewels, you know, uh, to cut costs, to expedite production for all kinds of reasons, they might just reuse a figure and repaint it and slightly re-sculpt it. And so we, we got on this kick last night because... We were looking at the Robin Hood figure that he sent me, and Nick noticed that his belt said G. He noticed that there was a belt, uh, that, that the buckle of the Robin Hood Prince of Thieves, Kevin Costner's belt said G on it. It was distinctive, kind of a C, G shape, like with maybe a little, you know, a little bit of that, whatever that's called, the little thing that makes a, that turns a C into a G. You know, you know all about girls turning turning into women, but you know it turns a C into a G. Um, no, he noticed that, and I don't think we had ever noticed that before. And he goes, "You know what? Do you think they used Green Arrow's body for this?" And I was like, "I bet you, you nailed it because it's an archer's body. Because the Robin Hood figure, he's designed to hold a bow, and his decorations, like his his uh, he's first of all he's ripped." Like the like Kevin Costner has never been known as a muscular guy. His action figure, he's like, he's got a six pack and pecs, his arm muscles, everything is bulging. It's like he's he's in like an outfit. He's in like a Robin Hood archer outfit, but his muscles are like perfectly showing through. And that's something that Star Wars did later on with the Luke Skywalker figure when they re-released Star Wars figures. 
in the late 90s, they made them all extremely buff. They made like Luke and Han Solo, like almost like ripping out of their clothes. Their muscles are so exaggerated. And it's like, I don't think that's the appeal of Star Wars, guys. The original figures sold in droves and they weren't ripped. I don't think people watch Star Wars to think, oh, you know what? Uh, I wish that I want toys of Luke and Han, but I wish they were ripped. And by the way, Star Wars references, that means that we can uh, change the meter back to zero, the counter. The counter is now back at zero. We've gone zero episodes since making a Star Wars reference. But yeah, it was a weird decision. Like I think it was Hasbro had taken over Star Wars figure production in the late 90s, and they made the decision to make these characters in the movie who everybody loved. Like Nobody watched the Star Wars movies and thought, you know what, I wish that Luke had pectoral muscles bulging out of his robe. You know, no little boys sat around thinking that. They just thought Luke is Luke, and he's cool either way. And Hasbro said, Luke might be Luke, but we'd like him if he had bulging pecs coming out of his robe. Weird decision. But uh, with the Kevin Costner figure, it's the same thing, where he's just bulging. You know, he's just got muscles just bulging out of his, his archer outfit. But when we realized last night that, oh, they used Green Arrow... And Nick looked it up, and he found the exact Green Arrow figure that they used. And sure enough, same body, same everything, just about. Hence Robin Hood having a G on his belt buckle. So that was, that kind of blew our minds, where it was like, oh, it turns out more of these figures than we thought were actually. It wasn't just the Friar Tuck Gamorrean Guard. It turns out a bunch of these figures. And then like it turns out, of course, like these action figure nerds online have articles about it. And we discovered that the term for this is kit bashing. K-I-T bashing. Doing a little bit of kit bashing, I see. You know, kit bashing. And, uh, you know, with the earlier thing in mind about the gold and the gold powder and how the other Nick, Nick G, knew all about that. He listened to that episode and he knew all about that. Let me know if you know all about kit bashing. If you've heard of kit bashing before this episode, let me know. I want to know who that listens to this show knows all about action figure production. I want to know who that listens to this show knows about action figure production and the, the corners that action figure manufacturers cut in order to produce figures. Um, Cause kit bashing is a part of that. And I don't think it just applies to the manufacturing of figures. Cause it, I guess the term comes from people taking different models like even just the average Joe taking different model sets and combining them like customize basically it basically means customizing models or toys or figures kit bashing you take a model kit and you take elements of one and you combine it with another to make something new so it's something that goes much farther than what I'm talking about here but it is it does apply also to manufacturers of action figures and Kenner did that with Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. And there's entire articles about it where it turns out all of the figures are the result of kit bashing. I thought it was crazy as a kid just to discover that one of them was a a kit bashed action figure. But to find out that virtually all of them are. A few of them had new heads, but all, all of their bodies came from, a bunch of them came from superhero stuff. A bunch of the bodies were from superheroes. And it turns out that the Alan Rickman Sheriff of Nottingham figure... His head came from a RoboCop bad guy called Chainsaw. 
So that's pretty sad that they couldn't even sculpt a brand new Alan Rickman head, even though he's such a definitive character in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. He's a complete ham. But next to Robin Hood, he's the main guy. He's the main bad guy. And uh, the fact that they couldn't even sculpt Alan Rickman's head and they they took a a toy, a, a, a RoboCop henchman and just repainted him. It's like, give me a break, guys. Um. And the interesting thing, too, about it is they made a figure in this Robin Hood Prince of Thieves series that was called the Dark Warrior. And he's not in the movie. Like, he's wearing this crazy pagan helmet. It's like this this pagan helmet with big wings on it. It's like a falcon on top of it with big wings. And there are these pagan Celtic warriors in the movie. The sheriff recruits these these heathen Celtic warriors. And one of them does have kind of a crazy helmet like that. But on the card, on the blister pack of this dark warrior figure, they claim he's just one of the sheriff's henchmen. But this guy does not appear in the movie in this form. Certainly not one of the sheriff's henchmen. So it's always interesting when a toy line makes a figure that wasn't in the movie. And that's happened a number of times. Toy lines have done that a number of times from what I know, where they'll add a... Like, I can think... There was this kid that I grew up with... And for show and tell, he brought in like second grade, he brought in this figure that he had got for the Aliens movies. And I think I mentioned in a recent episode, like my neighbor and I were obsessed with Aliens. Like we would pretend to be the characters from Aliens when we LARPed, when we played guns, when we LARPed. And so we knew the characters very well. And this kid brought in this like new, and it was part of the Aliens toy series, meaning like Aliens the movie. All of the toys from the Aliens toy toy series however you say this stuff uh they were all from the movie except he brought in this new figure and it was a guy with red hair i believe sideburns and like a white streak through his hair and like this figure he he had like this fake alien costume where you would put like this thing on his head and these things on his arms and legs so that he like dressed up like an alien to fool them and he's not in the movie and they made a figure though and it's like this is not a character from the movie. They just created a random toy to go along with the movie figures of some random Irishman, Irish man, who, you know, dresses up like an alien, something they never do in the movie. There's no character in Aliens who puts on a fake alien suit like an idiot to trick these aliens. You know, so it's it's just a weird decision where it's like, we're going to, to try to sell more toys, we're going to create characters who weren't in the movie. And they inevitably leave out other figures, too. Like with the Robin Hood series, they didn't make any of the women, which is common. You know, they typically don't make the women from movies. Little boys don't want to play with the women. Even though they do. Because like my friends and I, it wasn't about action. When we played with action figures, it was never about action. It was like a diorama. You wanted to create little scenes. You wanted to create a little movie of your own. And so you wanted female characters for that reason. But the manufacturers are like, little boys don't want to buy female figures. So they don't make them. And it's funny with Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, no Maid Marian, nothing like that. Instead, you get the Dark Warrior, a character who's not even in the movie. And it's just a funny decision, like who they decide to make, who they don't decide to make. You can imagine the board meetings. You you can imagine the board meetings. Like It's like me joking about like telling my dad, like... It's not a pig guard, Dad. It's a Gamorian guard. It's Jabba's Gamorian palace guard. It's not a, a pig guard. 
you know, uh, trying to explain those details to like an older person. I imagine the boardroom meetings at Kenner were kind of like that, where it's like, hey, we're going to make these Robin Hood figures. Who are we going to make? We got to make Robin Hood. We got to make the sheriff. But let's reuse a RoboCop henchman's head for the sheriff, even though it looks nothing like him. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to create a brand new guy out of nowhere called the Dark Warrior. He's not in the movie, but it would be cool if he was. Kids won't know the difference, except they will. They'll, they'll still be talking about it 30 years later on their podcast, you know. These people don't know how their decisions can impact an entire life. They don't know that two childhood friends will still be talking about the Dark Warrior and who he is and who he isn't 30 years to the day. <laughs> to the day. It's been 30 years to the day since we last talked, since we found out about the Dark Warrior. But no, it's that sort of thing. You can imagine the boardroom of these like toy bosses, these toy bosses saying like, hey, who cares? Sure, I like it. Hey, can we, is there a way we can cut costs? Can we reuse the green eras? We already got an archer. We already got an archer figure. Let's use the green era. Let's use the green era for Robin Hood's body. (laughs) Oh, but he has bulging muscles and the, you know, his bulging muscles are... Are going to, you know, who cares? Who cares if he has bulging muscles? Got to cut costs. But it's just fascinating. It blows a kid's mind to find things like that out. It blows a kid's mind to find out that, like, they reuse other action figures to make action figures. It doesn't cheapen it. It kind of opens up a whole new world of imagination. It's kind of like your first experience with, I don't want to call it synesthesia, but it does kind of break down a wall. Where you're like, oh, this thing is not as unique as I thought it was. This thing was not operating in this vacuum like I thought it was. This is related to something else. This uses components from something else. What else is this way? You know, it's not like we went there with it then. But that is one of those things that it breaks down a wall in your brain. And it changes the way you look at a toy. And even if it's just that individual toy... You know, it can make you look at other toys differently. It can make you look at other things differently. You can start to notice things you might not otherwise notice. It all starts from there. People talk about LSD. People talk about magic mushrooms. You know, like, oh, my mind didn't start to break down the barriers of reality until I tried magic mushrooms when I was 17. It's like, no, I got a toy that looked like another toy, and I found out they were made from the same mold, and that did more for my mental barriers melting than a magic mushroom ever did give credit where it's due kenner blew my mind give credit where it's due but talking to my buddy about that it was just it got us thinking about that whole subject of just toys and kit bashing kit bashing is, has been the word of the day i woke up to a message from him all about kit bashing because you learn a word like that and it doesn't leave you I've been walking around all day thinking about kit bashing, thinking about jokes, thinking about practical ways to use the word kit bashing. I was even getting into it with him where I was like, it's like a last name. Like I grew up, I knew a family and their last name was Coppersmith. And I always like, that was a realization for me too. You think about your mind getting blown. I realized, oh, somebody in their family history was a Coppersmith, like somebody's profession, just like a Miller, just like a tailor. Just like how all these people have names that relate to their profession, their family's historic profession, 
it, it kind of blew my mind where I was like, somebody in that family history, like they, at some point in time, that was a family of coppersmiths. Literally, that's what they did for a living. But you think about Kit Basher, and it's like uh, Kit Basher as a last name. Eric, Kit, uh, my name is Eric Kit Basher. I come from a long line of Kit Bashers. We take multiple action figures and combine them to make new action figures. We're a Kit Basher family. Turns out Kenner, turns out that name originally, it's derived from Kit Basher. It's Scottish for Kit Basher. Actually, if it was Scottish, it would be like knower. They, they say Ken, I believe, when they mean no. Like as in knowledge. Ken. I can. Kenner, knower. By Kenner, do you mean knower or do you mean Kit Basher? It also sounds very violent, bashing, like bashing these kits together. He's a kit basher. Sounds like a, a like a kidnapper. Somebody who does bad things to kids. Is he a pedophile? Oh, in this part of the country, we call pedophiles kit bashers. Horrible. Horrible with those. He's in the kit basher database. Whenever you move to a new neighborhood, a kit basher has to register. Whenever a kit basher moves to a new town, he has to register and let everybody know. We got a kit basher across the street. I keep an eye on him. Welcome, kit bashers. But yeah, the term kit bashing. I just can't get enough of it. Kit bashing. I'm going to make myself sick of it, obviously. But I, was, I went for a walk at the college here, which is still shut down, I guess. I don't know. I mean, it seems pretty dead to me. And somebody had a giant Star Wars action figure. Like, it was, like, the same, like, make as the small Star Wars action figures, but it was, like, one that was, like, 12 inches tall, which I don't, I never liked those big toys. Like, as a kid, I was always into, like, the, like the, the G.I. Joe size, the Star Wars size action figures were perfect. Three and three-fourths inch was the perfect size action figure for me. Big enough to where it wasn't a miniature, small enough to where it wasn't, bulky easy to transport you could fit a couple of those guys in your pockets if you're if you're going on a road trip and uh but they had a giant version of a star wars figure and i of course took a picture of it and they had, they had a bunch of other action figures in the window too and i sent it to my friend and i just said i i smell a kit bashing coming on you know i can't get enough but that makes me think i've done some kit bashing all this has made me realize that i am already a kit basher i was a kit basher as a kid I was a child kit basher because with G.I. Joe's, I learned that with the original like G.I. Joe figures, like the little ones, I realized that you could unscrew their backs. Like with a screwdriver, you could unscrew their backs and their arms would fall out, their heads would fall out, and you could do that to multiple figures and switch their arms and heads around. Their lower half of their body was a little more difficult because they were attached to the rubber band. And there was a hook. So, like, their legs hooked to the torso with this rubber band that you had to, like, very carefully, like, stick through the, like, a hole in the bottom of their torso and hook back on in the right way. So it was more difficult to do that, and you ran the risk of breaking the rubber band, which was always unfortunate. But I did a lot of kit bashing, it turns out, because I would combine the arms and heads and occasionally the legs and you could even combine, like, because the torsos would break in half. Like, not break, but they would, when you unscrewed them, they would separate into two halves. So if you had a torso that fit with another torso, or even if it didn't, 
you could rescrew it so the front of the torso was different than the back of the torso. So you could create these little Frankensteins. You could create these little Frankensteins out of it. And I did that, and I would paint them too. And it, would, it was all very crude. Like nobody would want to pay me to be a custom action figure kit basher. But for a kid, it was a lot of fun. You know, you'd repaint things. You'd do a little kit bashing. This is what we call doing a little kit bashing. It's called we're doing a little kit bashing. And uh, you'd do it, and it'd be fun. And you look back, and you're like, oh, if I hadn't kit bashed that guy, I could have sold him for $30 on eBay. I could have sold him on eBay. But, you know, it's better to kit bash. It's better to kit bash when inspiration strikes than to worry about this auction site that may or may not exist in the distant future. You know, it's way better to kit bash. It's way more fun to blow action figs up as a kid than it is to worry about their resale value on eBay. On EB, excuse me, EB. But anyway, so I realized I had done some kit bashing, and those G.I. Joe figures were interesting. I understand this is now just an action figure podcast, but I, and I know those actually exist. When I was doing a little research last night, like on kit bashing, I, I discovered that, yeah, and no surprise, of course, action figure podcasts exist, but still, like, adult men get together and they do action figure podcasts. And what always gets me about those is those guys review new action figures. It's not just that they're collectors who, who, discuss all these little nuances like for example the articles i found about all the different figures that were reused to make the robin hood figures it's not just them analyzing and collecting old figures like what's crazy about those guys and that makes it kind of perverse to me is that they will buy like new batman figures for some like new batman thing i've never heard of and give some detailed analysis of it and i'm like man like how do you even like that stuff? How do you even maintain an interest in like new Batman figures that look like a, like the thing about new action figures that I noticed is they all look like really, uh, they're like really, uh, smooth. Like what I like about older figures is there's like kind of a texture to them. There's like, like rippling in the clothing. There's just kind of a texture. And whenever I go to the store and take a look at figures, which isn't as often as, as I should, as an action figure podcaster, I don't do that as often as I should. But when I do, I'm just like, these don't even look good. Because I'd be excited. Like if I saw an action figure that looked good today, I would be like, this is cool. But I don't typically see that. And these guys, though, they've maintained enough momentum and interest in action figures to like do online reviews of new action figures as 45 year old men. And I'm just like, and I'm not even making up fun of them for being old or anything like that. Like, Oh, can you believe these grown men? I'm kind of doing that while doing that myself on this show, but still like, I'm, I'm kind of doing that. I'm kind of making fun of them. But the reality is that is I'm more just mystified that they can even maintain the interest to like buy a new Batman set and analyze it. But when you invest in something, you got to keep doing it, you know? It's why people still put out shitty albums, because it's like, this is what I do. Even though inspiration died on the vine decades ago, I've still got to make a new album because I'm a musician. I'm an action figure reviewer. I've still got to review the new stuff. But uh, with that, though, like, uh, I had a realization... As a kid, you know, just that I was able to kit bash on my own. I didn't know. I, I was kit bashing before I knew what kit bashing was. But with the G.I. Joes, what was so interesting is like, I loved those figures. They were popular with everybody I knew. Every boy I knew had a collection of 
three and three fourth inch GI Joe action figures. They were so versatile, versatile, versatility. They were so versatile. How do you say it? Um, they were so versatile and cause like you could pose them in any way and they wouldn't always stand up. But what gets me about the popularity of those figures is how easily they broke. Like they were some of the most enduringly popular action figures and they looked so cool. You could do so much with them. There were so many cool things associated with them. There was a cool TV show. But what gets me about them is that they would inevitably like the thumbs would break off those guys. Like they had to have thumbs to hold their weapons, but the thumbs would break off so easily. They would weaken and you could see them weakening. You would see like them start to get lighter in color around where the thumb met the hand where the thumb met the hand and you would, you would know that it's going to break at some point and they would break too. Cause like, I mean, who stored their GI Joes in like a safe place? Like I just had a bin where I just threw them all in there when I was done. And when you throw them in there, they bang up against each other. You toss them around. Like I, I was never like, I was never reckless with my action figures because I treasured every single one of them. But at the same time, like, I, I didn't delicately place them in the bin. I would just, like, scoop them up and put them in there. Not throw them, but just scoop them. And uh, it was like cat litter. Scooping up action figures like cat litter. But as a result, though, you'd end up, like, over time, that rubber band in their belly that I was talking about that attaches their legs to their torso would break. It would wear thin, and you could, you could tell it was wearing thin. And it was frustrating because there was no real way to replace it. Like, I guess you could take it from another figure, but at some point you're going to run out of those bands and you couldn't really use another rubber band. Like there was something about the band. It was this thick, short rubber band and it was very unique to those figures and it didn't last. And you couldn't just like, because I think I tried things like twisting a real rubber band like multiple times so that it was tight. But still, like, the guy's torso would just kind of, like, dangle loosely, and you could never make him stand up again. So there were things like that where, like, those figures, they took a beating, and they were not very resilient. Like, one day you'd open up your your bin of G.I. Joe's, and, like, a guy's arm would just be gone. Part of his arm would be missing. Because they were all jointed. Like, they were jointed at the knees. Like, a screw would come out. Or, like, one day, like, just on their own. Because I have this theory that, like, no matter how careful you were in putting your G.I. Joes away, when you put them away in the bin, they just rise. It wasn't like Toy Story where they get up and do things. I think they just writhed like maggots inside of their bin. Like, the figure's arms just writhed. They didn't go anywhere. They just writhed like worms, like maggots. Like action figure maggots. And uh, as a result, you would open up the bin the next day, and then suddenly, oh, Duke's missing an arm. Dialtone's missing a leg. Beachhead's rubber band belly broke. His intestines. It was kind of intestinal. I mean, it was, there was something kind of biological about it. You know, and when you, when you would take those figures apart, like when you do a little kit bashing, it was kind of like ta- doing an autopsy on an action figure. I mean, why not? I mean, it was. You were taking them apart. You were, it was reductionism. And uh, the rubber band that kind of held their, uh, it didn't kind of, it did hold their torso to their legs, to their pelvis. It was kind of like an intestine. You know, I've thought about this. I've thought about the, the components of G.I. Joe, G.I. Joe, G. Joe action figures. 
Oh, Guy Joe? Jai Joe? So, you know, I don't know. It goes deep. It goes very deep. But the, just the it's interesting they were so enduringly popular considering how easily they fell apart, how they would inevitably end up, you know, just coming apart. And there, there's only so much you could do. You know, while there were little things you could do here or there, you would inevitably have a bunch of figures missing thumbs. And as a result, if you wanted them to hold their guns, you would have to make it so they were like hugging the gun to their chest. And then, uh, you know, eventually they're going to lose a leg. Eventually they're going to lose part of an arm. Sometimes, I mean, you'd find one in the torso, it just cracked in half. And I had a weird experience where my friend came over and it was a nice summer day and we had this enclosed backyard with all this nice dirt. And we decided to set up all the figures like really elaborately in the dirt one day. And it was so much fun. And it seemed like we were going to do it every day forever. I think we did it one or two days and we built these moats. I think my sister built all these moats in the dirt. So it was like this whole elaborate day of fun and setting figures up. And there was one figure, it was Roadblock, the uh, guy, like a black man who carried like a big artillery gun, bald head, earrings. The toy actually had earrings double earrings, Mr. T style. And we buried him up to his neck in dirt. And, uh, the figure was there for a few days. Maybe, I don't know how long he was there. We didn't, nobody touched these things. And when I went to retrieve him, like one day I was like, I guess we're not going to play this anymore. It was kind of sad. It was like, I guess we're not going to do this outdoor GI Joe diorama anymore. And so I went out to retrieve my figures one day and keep in mind, it was summer. It had, the weather had been nice. My yard was totally enclosed. Like animals went back there. Like we had cats, neighborhood cats, raccoons, possums, you know, all those things made their way into the backyard. But I went to go retrieve roadblock. Like he had been buried up to his neck in dirt and his head was sticking out. And as I pulled him out, only the head came out and there was no body like I dug, I dug underneath it. There was only a head and that was not the way we buried him. I have no idea how that happened because it was actually hard to get the head out. Like the heads were all, the heads stayed in. Like I'm talking about like you'd open up your toy bin and the GI Joes would be missing arms and legs and their rubber band intestine would be broken. Their heads would always be intact because the head was more securely in. Like you had to actually unscrew the torso to get the head out. And as a result, like the heads never just fell out on their own. Like the heads even had these little nubs that kept them in place that limited the mobility so that you couldn't like swivel the head 360 degrees. These little nubs at the bottom of the head. And it turns out, you know what? Your body has those too. You don't know it, but you do. And never bury yourself up to the neck in dirt because you might very well find out that when you go to get yourself out, you don't have a body anymore. What happened to that guy's body, man? What happened to Roadblock's body that we buried him with his body up to his neck, waited a few days in my secure, safe, isolated backyard, and his body was just gone? What worm, what animal, what happened? I never figured that one out. But it's the risk you take when you take your toys into into the outdoors. And I was, you know, one of these, you know, last night I was on this kick, like reading these action figure blogs and stuff. And uh, you can't do much of that. That's like a one night in a year. It's like a once in a five year allowance. Like you can only allow yourself to do that once every five years, go through action figure blogs. 
but uh, there was a guy who was like talking about how he took his original Ewoks figures. This is a grown man. Now, you know, and I don't want to say that. I don't want to be one of these people who judges grown men for like being into toys because I, I can totally see a world where I lose my mind and I just play with action figures and elaborate dioramas all the time while the government pays my bills. You know, I can see that fantasy world. But this guy, you know, he's, a, he's a, much older than I am. I'd say this guy's probably 50 by now because he, he mentioned when he was a kid, he mentioned like a certain year when he was a certain age. I think he said he was nine years old in 1981. But he has a collection of all the original Ewoks figures from the original Return of the Jedi toy line. And he talked about taking them out in the woods and he takes like high definition. Like he has like a digital camera that has like a massive lens and he has photos of himself taking photos. Like he has a studio in his house and granted he runs an action figure website. I'm not blaming him for his hobby. But he has like an entire like like photo studio in his house to take like high definition photos of action figures, which I guess if you're going to be into it, you might as well go all the way. Right. But he said he was taking these, you know, professional photographs of his Ewok toys in the actual woods for ultra realism. And he said like one of the toys staffs like flew out of his hand when he lifted it up or something like it got flung. And it flew into like a pile of twigs. And he said he spent like all this time scouring the woods for this Ewok, this like tiny little Ewok staff, this tiny little Ewok spear or whatever it was. And he never found it. And I'm just imagining, like, I can relate to that. Like we've all had that sort of experience. Like uh, I had an experience once where someone gave me this, it was before weed was legal And this dude I knew gave me like this little caramel, it was tiny, it was like the size of a dime, maybe smaller than that. And it was wrapped up in some kind of, you know, wax paper. And so it was like this little weed caramel, like a dose of a dose of edible. At that point in time, you didn't really come across that unless you knew somebody who had a medical card, that kind of thing. You couldn't just go to the store at all let alone go buy edibles. You know, somebody either had to make you cookies or brownies or you know, hand over something from the medicinal store, medicinal pharmacy, whatever they call it. And so he gave me this little caramel when we were out drinking and I took it home. And I remember that night, like placing it somewhere. Like I remember like putting it on a, on a shelf. It's that exact thing you do when you're like, I'm going to put this in a place where I never put things because that way I'll know it's there. And then of course you, you forget it. Like you put something in a place where you never put things and that's where you never find it again. And it just, it, it bothered me on principle. You know, it was one of those things that bothered me on principle because I was like, I know I had this. And then it dawned on me, you know, I was like, I I came home like super drunk. I probably just ate it, (laughs) you know? And so I think that's probably what happened with this guy where he, he thought that he lost this Ewok staff in the woods and he was digging through twigs looking for it. He probably just ate it, probably ate it. That's something that a lot of action figures wouldn't want to admit is the number of accessories they've eaten. It's like spiders crawling into your mouth. Like you eat, you eat 75 spiders a a month. You eat 10 spiders a year, whatever the statistic is. How they measure that, I don't know. sounds like a bunch of nonsense, but I think it's the same thing. For people who collect action figures, you eat a certain number of action figure accessories every year. You know what's nice about talking about action figures is I feel like it gives me this really like safe, clean humor. 
Like, I can just imagine myself making these jokes to families. This is like clean stand-up comedy for families. It's like, you know, action figure collectors, you know, sometimes they lose the accessories that come with the figures and they get really upset. What they don't realize is you eat this many Lego swords every year when you collect Legos. Good style of humor. Action figure comedy. Except kids today wouldn't get it. Kids today have no idea. Like, try explaining to a kid what kit bashing is. Oh, well, you unscrew your G.I. Joe, and you switch the arms around, and then you stick your G.I. Joe out in the mud, and then you go retrieve it, and there's only a head. Turns out what happened to the body, I ate it. <laughs> That's actually a good one. I like that one. Just every, everything that ever happened to any of my action figures, I ate it. You, op- you ever open up your bin of, of G.I. Joes and then you, you find that one of them's got its arm missing and you can't find it? You ate it. It's all just about eating. Every joke is about eating action figure parts. I ate Roadblock's body. Turns out I ate that guy's Ewok staff. It wasn't him that ate it. I ate it. Because it's me. It's not that every individual action figure collector eats a certain amount of action figure accessories. It's that I eat them all. I've earned a reputation for it. I think that's all I got. We've got an hour. It's an hour of pretty much action figure talk. And I think that's exactly what this show needed. I think that's exactly what Night School needed. This show needed a little bit of kit bashing. It's called doing a little bit of kit bashing. I think there will be more kit bashing in the future. And don't even get me into alchemy. Here I started this episode out talking about the alchemy episode, converting gold into iodized powder, converting it back into gold with cyanide, and how that's a form of alchemy. I talked about that on a previous episode. Here I was referencing that again. And now I'm talking about kit bashing, which should obviously be analogous to alchemy too but i won't explain it because it seems pretty obvious taking components of different things and combining them to create something new kit bashing is alchemy and that's what we'll close with This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free.